Well, good morning again to you. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Downtown Prez. It's really good to see you this morning. If you're a, if you're a real Bible scholar, then you may have noticed as um, that Stephen was doing that reading of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler that it says it was from Mark chapter 14. Um, it's not. If you go looking for it later and you're like, "Where? this is not in Mark chapter 14. It's actually in Mark chapter 10. I was just testing you, okay? I was just testing you right at the beginning. No, it's actually, that was my mistake and that was my typo. Sorry about that. Um, if you're joining us kind of for the first time, especially in the last few weeks, then um, you'll need to know that we're in a new series, uh, that we are looking at this topic, this really huge topic of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And this is a topic that if you wanted, um, I would say, in some ways, to ask, if somebody asked you what is the Bible all about, one of the ways that you could answer that the Bible is about the kingdom of God. That from the very beginning to the very end, that what we see is that God is establishing his kingdom. And if you go to the Gospels, what you'll find, and especially we're looking through the lens of Matthew, that, that he taught, Jesus talks about this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God, all the time. And some of you may have just kind of looked at that, read that, and thought, I don't really know what that means. I don't really know what this kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is. And so that's what we've been looking at um, over the last few weeks. We're going to continue to look at in the fall. And we're looking at through the lens of, like I said, this gospel writer, Matthew, who last week we were reminded that Matthew um, was a tax collector, that he was somebody who was most despised in his own community. And yet he was someone who was writing a record of the good news of Jesus because Jesus loved him. And he called him to be one of his disciples. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the priority of the kingdom. Where does the kingdom fall kind of in the list of things that are important for us? And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to look at a couple of really short parables in Matthew chapter 13. This is God's word from Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things will be added to you. And then in chapter 13, two short parables that Jesus tells. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. All men are like grass and all of their glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but God's word endures forever. And so let's pray and ask that he would bless it this morning. Heavenly Father, we simply ask you this morning that you would open our eyes that Jesus, before he told those two parables ask that same thing, that, that those who understood it had to have eyes that are open and they had to have ears that would hear. And Father, we know that we are not able to open our own eyes and we're not able to clear out our own ears that we might hear, but your Spirit must do that work for us. And so we ask that your Spirit would do that this morning so that we might see, that we might hear, so that we might understand what it means to belong to you, to follow you, 
that what it means to seek this kingdom and your righteousness. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of years ago, I, I read a book that was about this, this man who I had never heard of before. Um, he was a great explorer who really, you'd, he was, he's been caricatured really a lot of times. If you ever watched um, the Indiana Jones movies, then this is sort of that guy. His name is Percy Fawcett. And the book was called The Lost City of Z. And the, the kind of subtitle was A Tale of Deadly Obsession in the Amazon. And so I was drawn into this book, and I thought, this is, this is kind of a fun summer read. And this guy was really fascinating because this was sort of the golden age of exploration. And the Great Britain was sending out, you know, explorers kind of all over the world um, in order to map and to chart places that Westerners hadn't been before. And Percy Fawcett was one of the hardiest of those explorers, I mean, to say the least, that people went into the Amazon in herds and like almost like instantly, I mean, it's, it's, it's not comical, um, but it's, when you read the accounts of it, it's like a hundred men and like horses go into the Amazon and within like a week, they're all dead. Like the most horrific jungle than you've ever experienced. And somehow this man, Percy Fawcett, went into this jungle over and over and over again with a small team and he would, everyone, his team often would all die of diseases or attacks, and yet he would come out again and again, and he would show up at the Royal Geographical Society and give a speech, like, weighing 50 pounds less with a scraggly beard, and everyone was in awe. And the thing that was driving this man is that he was looking for this forbidden city. He was looking for this lost city called El Dorado. And this city, according to legend, was full of treasure, right? It was full of gold, that it had been wiped out, and everything was left there, and it existed somewhere in the Amazon, and Percy Fawcett was intent on finding this, and it drove everything in his life. And I want to ask you, first off this morning, have you ever been so just captivated by something, so intrigued by something, so enamored with something that it really took over everything else in your life, that it made you look at everything else in your life a different way? Have you ever been so captivated by something that you set your sights upon it and you, and you move towards it with just reckless abandon? I think one of the simplest illustrations of this that I could think of is that I see a lot of pictures. We just prayed for a new child. I see a lot of pictures of fathers and mothers holding a newborn, that little baby, and staring at it. And you can see in their eyes that they are just enamored with this child. This is new life, and that life has like little features that sort of look like yours. It's terrifying. And you know that like this thing's going to cost a lot of money, right? It already did, just like just to enter the world, and then it's going to cost a lot more after that. And you know that you've kind of set, it changes everything. But let me ask it another way, especially in light of this passage, is it possible that we could be so fixated on something, and so enamored with something, and so consumed by something that it really dictates everything in our life, and yet we're not even really aware of it. 
and we go throughout our life and we get to a point where we look back and we realize that everything in our life has revolved around this thing and maybe this thing is the wrong thing. Well, Jesus, in this passage, what he describes, what he tells us about is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, is so immeasurably valuable that if you have found it, you have found everything. That the kingdom of God is so immeasurably valuable that if you have found it, then everything else pales in comparison, that everything else immediately is subservient to this one thing. And I don't know about you, but if you hear that, you might react the way that I do. If it's so valuable, and if it's so good, and it's, if it's of such worth, then how come more of us don't know about it? And how is it so easy to miss? And why is it so hidden? And how is it that I can know Jesus and follow Jesus, and yet at the same time, wake up every day, go through my life, and not prioritize it? That's what I want to talk about this morning, and I want to start by talking about that simple problem that we have with priorities, that priorities for us are an issue, right? What should go first in our life? And then I want to talk about the value of the kingdom in the way that Jesus describes it, and then I want to talk about what it means to seek it, the practice of seeking this kingdom and his righteousness. And so let's talk about priorities first. Um, That's our first priority this morning. Um, So you want to know about priorities like I did, so I Google the word priorities, right? Um, I just was kind of curious. I like, maybe some great article is going to pop up that that I hadn't missed, because I know that what you know is that we're a people and we're a culture that we're really kind of obsessed with priorities. And so when I Googled priorities, the first thing that popped up was an app, right, that's called Priorities. And this app, you know, if you download it onto your phone, obviously what it's going to do is reprioritize your life so that everything's going to function well, everything's going to go well for you. What we, instinct, like, what we instinctually know is that our priorities really do matter, right? That what we instinctually know is that if I don't have things in my life kind of organized in the right way, if I put the wrong thing at the top, then everything else is kind of messed up. Like, we know that instinctually, and in the midst of that, as we kind of move through life, what we have is about 10 million voices that are screaming at us from every side, telling us what should be our first priority. And it's exhausting, right? I mean, it's exhausting just to move through the world and, and to hear these voices. What do some of those voices sound like? Some of the voices sound like this. Are you really, like, are you really working hard enough? Like, look at the guy next to you He's obviously working harder, and it's obviously paying off, and you went to dinner at his house the other week, and you saw it, and you saw that, like, he's got what you want. You should be working harder. Why aren't you working harder? Or the voice that says, you know what? Um, First priority in life, don't get evicted. You've got to pay your bills. 
And, you know, along with that, like, um, you're, you're going to use cloth diapers, right? Your kids eat organic, don't they? You're, you're working hard enough to go ahead and get, like, that first payment sent to, like, the Ivy League school so that your kid's going to get there and have his place reserved because they're obviously going to be a genius because you're going to pour so much into them to make them a genius, right? That all of these voices, you know, are kind of screaming at you all the time. And on top of that, you have, like, the voices that say, you're taking time for yourself, aren't you? Like, that's a priority. Like, you've got to take time for yourself. Like, you know, it's the whole, like, secure your own oxygen mask before you secure the person in the seat next to you. Like, take care of yourself. Take more time for yourself. And at the same time, like, you're serving in community, right? Like, I mean, you're loving and you're volunteering in your community, aren't you? Because that's really important. And I think that, like, right now, I mean, even judging from the looks of some of your faces, like, some of you want to get out of your seat and, like, tackle me. Like, shut up. I'm so tired of all of those voices. I'm so tired of everything screaming at me, telling me what's supposed to be the most important and in the midst of our complicated, convoluted lives, Jesus drops this bomb, right? He drops this bomb and he says this, seek first, the first priority The thing that matters above everything else, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And like, my first reaction to that is like, I can't even find my car keys, you know, to even get started. Like, where do I find the kingdom? How do I seek this thing? Seek first the kingdom of God. And like, let's put that in its context. Because this verse is pulled out of the middle of the longest sermon that we have recorded of Jesus. And it doesn't stand just by itself. It's in the midst of him talking about a lot of other things. If you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of Matthew, um, this afternoon, it makes great reading. It's unbelievable. It's obviously a sermon that Jesus preached, so it's pretty good. And Jesus starts this section by saying this. He starts this section by saying, you know, when you pray, don't go show off. And pray like the religious leaders do. But when you pray, pray like this. And he tells them this prayer, the prayer that we just prayed. And what does that prayer say? Like we say it every week, but do you listen to it? It says, first of all, praise God. That his name rules over every other name. That he is the one who is worthy of being worshipped. And the second thing that he says to pray for is for his kingdom to come. And what does that look like? It's a great definition of the kingdom right there. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as he finishes up that prayer, he starts to talk about some other things that he starts to make these comparisons for us. That he says, like, don't, he starts talking about treasure. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he says, don't seek after corruptible treasure. In other words, don't lay up for yourselves treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break up in and steal. In other words, he says, if you're just accumulating treasure here, it can all be wiped out in in a heartbeat. And then it's sort of like, why did you spend all that time and energy worrying about that? And he says, instead, build up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot 
destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And the point is, he says, where your treasure is, that's where this is. That's where your heart is. And then he goes on to say, you know, you also, along with that, you've kinda, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and possessions, mammon, money. Because he says, eventually, you're going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to hate the one and you're going to love the other. You can't serve two masters. And what Jesus is, is basically talking about, kind of in this little section, he's talking about something that's really, really old in the Bible. It's as old as sin, because it's at the very heart of sin, and it's a little, it's a little thing called idolatry. And what he's, what he's basically, you know, you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, and you think about the very first commandment when, when God brings his people out of slavery. What does he tell them? He says, because I love you, because I brought you out of slavery, because I made you for myself and that you're a people for my own possession, you shall have no other gods before me. Not because I'm a meanie, you know, not because I'm like, I know those other gods are great, but I'm really, I want you to worship me. He's saying you weren't made to worship anything else. And if you worship anything else other than me, I love you and I don't want you to do that because it's going to destroy you. It's going to hurt you. And so idolatry is, is simply this. It's as old as sin because it's at the heart of sin. Idolatry is just simply trusting in anything else other than God to give you what you need. It's trusting in anything else other than Him, other than the one who created you, who loves you, who made you, who we know redeemed you, to give you what you need. And so you go, okay, this is the Jesus' logic. He talks about how to pray. He talks about the supremacy of worshiping God and His kingdom coming. He talks about not storing up treasure here but in heaven. He talks about worshiping God and not money. And he's talking about idolatry. And what's the most logical thing for him to talk about after he talks about worshiping other gods? It's one of the longest sections, really, in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus begins to talk about anxiety. Isn't that interesting? He says you cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other, hate the one and love the other. And he says, oh yeah, and by the way, don't be anxious about anything. Because the reason he does this is because anxiety is really this fear that I am not going to get what I need. And I'm so afraid that I'm not going to get what I need. And I'm afraid that maybe even in my own capacity, I'm not able to provide what I actually need, or for the people around me, that I'm going to find something else that I think will give me what I need. And here's the thing. Jesus is saying that serving another God always leads to anxiety, since it can never deliver on what it promises. See, he's saying this out of love because he's saying if you serve another God, it's always going to lead to anxiety because it's going to promise something really good, but it's going to never deliver upon that promise. And you think about a million examples of this. You think about they're all good things usually. You just think about work. We're talking about work in the men's study, and and work is one of those things that God created. It's good that he made it, that he works. And yet there's this temptation for us 
to put work at the very, very top because if I work hard enough, if I work long enough, if I get maybe the better job, if whatever it is that I have in my mind, if I keep bowing down to this thing above all things, then surely it's going to pay off. And it just never really does. That nothing mimics what God can provide for us the way that money can. And this is why Jesus talks about it all the time. It's because it is such a temptation to go, if I've got enough set away, if I've got enough coming in, then I don't have to worry anymore. And you know that it's not true, right? Because the more you set your heart on it, if your heart is set on it, the more you're anxious about it because you're anxious that it could be taken away or or is it really enough and that I keep having to pay for more things and am I going to have enough? And Jesus is saying, if you're bowing down to something else, you're always going to be riddled with anxiety. That our anxiety is like this neon sign like an arrow that's pointing to the thing that we have put at the top of our priority list. That our anxiety is like this neon sign, and it's saying, if you follow your anxiety back, that what you're going to see is that your anxiety is telling you that this is the thing that you've put at the very top. And you think that it can give you what only God can give you. And there's this vicious cycle, and see if you felt this. There's this vicious cycle that you start to seek something else, you start to bow down to something else, and you realize that as you do it, it ensnares you, and it makes you work harder, and it starts to make you anxious, and as you get anxious, you start to go, I need something that's going to soothe my anxiety, and so you go back to the very thing that caused you to be anxious in the first place, or maybe you seek out something else that you think is going to cure your anxiety, and it becomes this vicious cycle of going, I'm anxious, Uh, I've got to find something else, and then that thing's not working, and it makes me anxious again. And it's like, ours is a society riddled with anxiety. Could this be one of the reasons why? Jesus has something that he's saying, it is so much better that I can't even begin to tell you or explain to you. He says, do not be anxious about your life. What you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. He says the Gentiles, they all eagerly seek after those things because they think that those things are what life is about. And he's saying it's not about that. Seek first the kingdom of God. And you know what? I'll take care of you. You don't have to be anxious anymore. I will provide for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. We have a problem with priorities. Well, why this kingdom? Why, what is so valuable about this? And I think that this, this is what Jesus is wanting us to ask. That he's wanting to, us to ask this, what if we found a master? What if we found a king who was so good and so gracious and so merciful and so powerful that I really didn't actually have to fear anything else ever again. What if I found that? If I found that, that would be the best thing ever, right? There's nothing that would be better than that. If I had a king who loved me so much that he said, come into my kingdom, and in my kingdom, 
You will never have to fear again. You will never have to worry again. You will never have to be afraid again because you belong to me and I will protect you and I will guide you. And we would say, that would be the best thing ever. That would be the greatest thing ever. On the front of your bulletin, Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. He said, anxiety can never be cured by getting more of what we already have. Anxiety can be cured only by assurance that all of our needs will be met by our King. That all of our needs will be met by our King. And that's the immeasurable value of this kingdom, isn't it? That the immeasurable value of this kingdom, it's, it's, it's what Tanner said after the assurance of the gospel, it's that, it's that Jesus gave up everything so that he might find you. That Jesus entered into the mess and the filth and the chaos of your internal life, and you know what that's like. He entered straight into the heart of it, and he's seen all of your sin, and he's seen all of your rebellion, and he's seen all of the things that you're so ashamed of doing and thinking, and he's saying, put them on me. Put them on me and punish me instead. And pour out your wrath upon me because I want this person to become a child of God. I want him to enter into the family of God. He's saying that this is everything that you're looking for. This is everything that you're seeking after in the wrong places. This is it right here. It is the utter and absolute gracious forgiveness of the God who is the maker and the creator of the heavens and earth that you might stand before him and he might say, you are justified, you are forgiven, you are accepted, you belong to me. Nothing can ever change it because I did it for you. And he's saying that's what every person wants, whether they know it or not. He's saying this is freedom. The value of the kingdom is this, that you've been set free from bondage. You've been set free from guilt. You've been set free from fear. You've been set free from worry because the king of kings calls you his child. Therefore, you can no longer fear. There's nothing better than that. What else, like, what else is there? And this is what these parables describe. Jesus, in such simplicity, he just puts it this way, that there's something so valuable that everything else pales in comparison. You heard it in Paul's assurance. That Paul said, I was building and building and building my own little kingdom, and I got to the point when I met Jesus, and I realized all of that was rubbish. All of it was garbage compared to knowing him, because what I was doing is I was on an anxious search to be made valuable. And what Jesus said to me is that you are valuable. You're valuable because I love you. And Paul said, I don't have to prove my value anymore. I don't have to prove, I don't have to try to be accepted anymore. I don't have to worry anymore about what people think of me. Jesus loves me. And there's nothing better than that. This is why reading that account of the rich young ruler is so sad, and yet it's so important for us because this is a man who did everything. He listened to the right voices of his time. This is why the disciples are so shocked when Jesus said, that man's not entering the kingdom. And they're like, who could enter the kingdom then? Like, he's our best shot. He's the best example. He listens to the right voices. He does the right things. He has the right means. 
He is the most upstanding person in our society. And Jesus says, yes, but he worships something else. And for those of us who are good and who listen to the right voices and look good on the outside, it is, it, it, it's an encounter we need to read over and over again, right? Because Jesus is saying you can do all the right things and you can still miss me. And he's putting his finger right on it for this guy. And he's saying, if you really, if you really want me, if you want what you're calling eternal life, then he says you're going to have to trust me with your life. You're going to have to trust me with your life and quit controlling your life. And of course, for this man, money was his control. It's how he moved throughout the world. The treasure is hidden in these parables, right? It's it's hidden. It's not visible for everyone to see. It's not something that everyone um, knows about, really, and can see really clearly. Why? Because it looks unimportant and it looks unassuming. That it's like Jesus describes it elsewhere, that it's like a mustard seed, that it's so tiny, and yet what it contains is so enormous. That it's not found in, like, it's not found in the seats of power. It's not, sa- it's not found in the most sought-after places. It's not found in the most prestigious places. You think about it this way. There's so many people who just walked alongside Jesus. And sometimes I think that we'd be like, you know what? I would believe if I could just see him, and if I could talk to him, if I could watch him maybe perform a few miracles, if I could see that, why doesn't he just show himself? If I could see that, then I'd believe too. Uh, I don't know. So many people watched him do that. And they listened to him teach, like in his own voice, like the Son of God. They listened to him teach. They watched him, I don't know, raise people from the dead. And then they were like, i got to get to work. Unfazed. Walked away didn't want what he was offering. And you hear Peter chime in. You hear him chime in in that reading. And he says, but, but, but Jesus, like, see, we've left everything to follow you. And what Jesus really replies back to him is like, you haven't really left anything. You've gained everything. You haven't lost anything. You didn't leave anything. You found everything. And everything will be added unto you beyond what you could ever, ever imagine or compare. And that's just it. This isn't some sort of dreary, moralistic servitude, right? This isn't some sort of dreary, moralistic servitude. It's like, well, I guess I need to move Jesus to the top of the priority list, right? No. That the man who found the treasure in the field, he covered it up, he went away, and in his joy, right? He went and sold everything. He told his wife, sell the house, get the kids. You will not believe what I found. She's like, we can't do that. You won't believe what I found. Nothing else matters anymore. I found the treasure that changes everything. And if you find that, it's not, I need to move Jesus to the top of the list. It's that nothing is the same anymore. That I have incomparable joy that can never be taken away from me. And I want to ask you this morning, just very simply, is this question, have you found that treasure? Have you found that treasure? 
do you know what that feels like? And I think that's an appropriate way to put it. Do you know what it feels like to find that treasure? Do you know what it feels like to stand before God and say, this is who I am, this is all that I've done, and what I'm accepting is the fact that Jesus died in my place, he's forgiven me, I become a part of your family and your kingdom, and everything else pales in comparison to that. Have you felt the joy of that? Do you see evidence of it in your life? Do you find that some of your anxiety is starting to fade when you see the joy of this kingdom? When you see the joy of what He's offered you? Is it starting to drown out some of the other voices? Well, that's not an easy thing. I know it's not in my life. And that's why seeking this kingdom and His righteousness is not just something that we do one time. That Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying that this is something that, that you seek earnestly after, meaning all the time, every day, that you're seeking this because it's that important and it's that easy for you to forget. And every morning you're going to wake up and there's going to be other voices that are saying, this is the best thing, this will give you life, this will bring you peace, if you just do this. And he's saying, you have to drown those out. So what, is it, what does it look like to practice seeking the kingdom? I'm going to do this really quickly, but I want to give you five quick things. of What does it look like to practice seeking after this kingdom? So that when we leave, we don't lose the joy. When we listen to the other voices. And I would say the first thing is this, is that you have to pay attention to your anxiety and fear. That you can't just act like it's nothing. That you can't just act like that's how I'm made and I come from a long line of worriers and like we just worry all the time and worry, worry, worry. You have to listen to it. And you have to ask the question, what is my worry and my anxiety and my fear telling me about what I actually worship? What I'm actually bowing down to? And when you start to find that thing, you go, well, what do I do with that? Once I find what that is, that's terrifying it's, we've talked about this already in the last couple of weeks, then you repent. And repenting is not simply turning from that other God and becoming a good little Christian. Repenting is turning from that and turning to Jesus. And to seek the kingdom means that I bow down to the king every day, that I bow down to him. And what that means is that I say that you are good, you alone, that you rule over all things, that it is your way and not my way that I want you to increase as I decrease, that I bow down before you, and part of seeking the kingdom is being here, is, is worshiping, so that I come back and I remember, ah, yes, he really is that good. And if we, if we listen to our anxiety, we repent, then it means that we have to start to embrace a way of life that is different than the world. It's a way of life that's a pilgrim way. And a pilgrim way means that we're trusting that there's one who is leading us through this journey, and this journey is going to look really weird, and it's going to have a lot of twists and turns, and it's not always going to be comfortable, and I'm not promised the best of everything, that it might be really difficult, but I'm trusting in the one who's leading me because he's already proven himself to be good. So that I quit building my own kingdom that I think will give me security, and I start trusting more and more in his and as I, as I move through this life as a pilgrim, what it means is that my goal, my life, my job is to see his rule and his reign expand throughout the world. If I found this joy, it means that 
Others are looking for this joy as well, and they're looking in places that are killing them and not giving them life. And so it means verbally I'm telling people the good news. It means verbally I'm telling people the good news. It might mean just simply that I care more about knowing my neighbors and them knowing Jesus than I care about what they think about how my yard looks. That socially, I'm expanding his rule and reign and I'm moving through this world thinking, what does it look like to bring healing? What does it look like to bring justice? What does it look like for Jesus to rule in this place? But then lastly, it means that we seek his righteousness. And this could be a whole other sermon. And I'll just say it this way, is that seeking his righteousness means that we already know that he is the one who is righteous and he is giving us righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. So Paul said, I no longer seek my own righteousness, a righteousness that's based on the law, but I seek his righteousness. And what that means is that as I seek his righteousness, what I'm also seeking is that I become more and more and more like Jesus. That if I look at this king who has loved me and who has brought me into his family that what I want more than anything is that I start to become more like him, that he was one who was joyful, who was loving, who was patient, who was kind, who was self-controlled, who loved his enemies, who associated with the lowly. All of those things about Jesus, I go, I want to seek his righteousness. And the beautiful thing is I've been set free to do it. I've been set free from establishing my own life to do it. The sad thing about Percy Fawcett is that as he looked for this lost treasure, as he looked for this lost city, he never found it because it didn't exist. And it was a myth. And he got on a boat one day and he headed back to the Amazon and he never came back and nobody ever heard from him again. Jesus says to us this morning, he says it in Luke chapter 12. He says to his disciples, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is not something that you can buy. It's not something that you can earn. Why spend your life searching for or building a kingdom that will never fulfill when before you this morning what is offered are the eternal riches of heaven? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the way in which he has sought us and he has made us his own. And Father, we thank you for the security that he offers, that we might be free from worry and from fear. Um, we, We ask that you would help us this week to seek your kingdom and your righteousness above all things because there we find our joy. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.